I remember accepting Christ into my life at the age of nine after one night at Iwana's. So I went home, got on my knees, and it's like, I don't want to go to hell. So it's, I need some fireproof. I accepted him into my heart, but not necessarily my life. So I kind of pushed him aside, said, okay, you, I need you, but I don't want you. We moved to a Christian camp, offered an internship for me. So I went and kind of pretended to be the good Christian guy. And my job was to fill up a big boiler. It was around midnight that I came back to do my shift and uh, put what I thought was diesel fuel in the tank. Um, ended up to be gasoline. I lit the thing from underneath and I saw the flame coming at me and burnt uh, about 23%, 26% of my body, my whole face, back of my neck. My, my forearms were burnt up to a, a sleeve line. I was wearing a T-shirt that was protecting me. So I was burnt really bad and realized, oh, well, I need help. Called my assistant chief. So he went and transported me to the hospital. And I was kind of, kind of ticked off just at the camp. So I thought it was their fault. And I struggled with the idea that God loves me and that he's a merciful God. Recovering was extremely hard. I was just like wrapped up in a gauze. So every morning I'd have to take a shower and I'd have to take that gauze off. And that would just take the new skin that had been growing back and would rip it off and allow even newer skin to grow. And they wanted to do that over and over again. I did that for about three weeks. I did that constantly ripping off new skin. That was the most painful. At first, when I would look at my scars, I, I become extremely angry uh, and insecure. Will I be able to walk down the street and not have people staring at me? Will I be able to have a wife who can love someone with the scars that I have? Looking back on it, like medically, I shouldn't have been alive, but yet I was. So I became more grateful than I did angry towards God. I had a month in the hospital where I did nothing. So I spent a lot of time in the Word and just praying. And during that time, became more grateful, more thankful, more fearful at the same time because I knew what he, the control he had. When I was burnt, everything on my neck was torched except for a straight line protecting my esophagus right here. And I realized you know, that was definitely a God thing. Um, my eyes weren't touched. That was another God thing because it was just so quick. I was like, wow, so God must exist. He's there and he's merciful. Then I kind of realized, you know, I need Jesus. I have him in my heart, but I need him in my life. So and it was in the hospital that Jesus set me on fire, literally, for him. I'm more thankful that I have these scars that I was able to go through this process. Uh, who knows where I would be today? Uh, I probably wouldn't be where I am now, um, relationship-wise, with Jesus and other people as well. And these scars on my arms, they start a conversation which always leads to Jesus. Life is pretty fragile. Um, God can take it away in a snap of his finger, really. So that in itself made me want to live more for Christ because I don't know how much I've got, only he does, so I don't want to waste a day. Maybe you have scars this morning as well. Sometimes our scars aren't on the outside, sometimes they're on the inside as well because we all have times where we face suffering in our life and we have times of stress and anxiety and, and suffering. And today we're going to look at a passage, a great passage out of 1 Peter, which I think gives us hope in the midst of suffering. A, Peter's actually writing um, a letter 
to the church, to scattered Christians around what's now modern-day Turkey, northern modern-day Turkey. And he's writing to them, and he's basically reminding them of the hope they have in Jesus Christ. So I want us to jump in. If you want to join me in the passage, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter is a letter, uh, again, written by the head of the church, Peter, in uh, in uh, Rome and Jerusalem. And uh, so this is what's happening. And he's writing to believers that are also under persecution and suffering. And he says this, may the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. On account of his vast mercy, he has given us new birth. You have been born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You have a pure and enduring inheritance that cannot perish, an inheritance that is presently kept safe in heaven for you. Through his faithfulness, you are guarded by God's power so that you can receive the salvation he is ready to reveal in the last time. I think about this passage, and there's some great things to remind ourselves of. First of all, our hope is a living hope. It is eternal. And also, this is kept safe, secure, and guarded by God's power. That you and I, when we're resurrected, we're talking about the resurrecting, resurrected life in this series. When we're resurrected with Christ, we have this new life. We have this living hope. And I just wanted to kind of help put that in perspective because I, you know, we're still going through uh, this season of dealing with COVID-19 and people are anxious and fearful and stressed and the finances are uh, in question. And so all these things are happening uh, that are changes and change creates stress in us. But this is a great reminder for us that we have this hope. And so I thought I'd just kind of help, Peter's helping us actually put things in perspective here. So I want you to imagine right where you're at. You're in a room probably watching this online or watching this in some room. So unless you're outside, then I can't help you there. But if you're in a room, I want you to find the very corner of the room where the ceiling, two walls come together. So where the two walls come together and the ceiling come together, that place, that joint right there, that corner, I want you to look at that corner right now. I want you to look at the corner of your room, whatever room you're in. And I want you to imagine you've got a Sharpie. You can pick whatever color Sharpie you want. And I want you to imagine you begin drawing a line. Now, don't really do this. Otherwise, you have to repaint the room. But if you put that, put that, imagine putting that Sharpie in that corner, the point of the Sharpie in the corner, and you begin to draw, trace a line around that edge all the way around the ceiling corner and wall corner of your entire room, whatever room you're in. And then when you get to the corner, you drop down an inch and you just keep drawing that line. And you keep doing that over and over again around the room, dropping down an inch every time. And you just keep drawing a line all the way around the room, all the way around the room, all the way around the room till you get all the way to the bottom corner. So I want you to imagine and picture in your mind that there's this line now running around your room that long. Imagine how long that line is, right? Now here's the question. Let's say that line is eternity. That represents your eternity with God in Jesus Christ. Now, here's the question. How much of that line is your life right now? (laughs) How much of your life is represented on that line that you just imagine, your imagination just drew in the room? My life, I would say, is about an inch of that entire line in that room. So let's put it, that's putting it in perspective, right? And what Peter is saying is that our eternal destiny, our destiny, our eternity is secure in Jesus Christ. Our hope is living. It is there. It's protected. And so whatever we're going through in this life, in this short little one inch of that line, you will get through it and God will be with you. 
And so that's the great thing that I love about what Peter's saying is that he's really helping us get perspective on this short, really short life that we all have. And that whatever we're going through or suffering wise, uh, that God is going to, has our eternity secure. So let me ask this question too this morning as you're thinking about this. What is your hope in for eternity? What is your hope for your eternity? (laughs) Do you have a hope? And if not, what's that about? What is it that's causing you fear? What's causing you panic? What's causing you to be distressed right now? And is your hope in Christ? Or are you still putting all your hope, all your eggs in the one basket, so to speak, of this short life? Think about that this morning as we unpack this and know that your eternity is secure. And it's a living hope, right? That's what Peter calls it. He calls it a living hope rather than a dead. It's not a dead hope. It's not a question mark hope. It's not a hope that we doubt in. It's a living, alive hope. It is still alive. It is still there. It is still secure. Now, we all know what it's like when our hopes are dashed or when our hopes die. Uh, I was thinking, you know, one of the disappointments this uh, COVID-19 season has brought upon us is that we're missing the NCAA tournament. I'm actually missing it. It's something I enjoy every year and filling out brackets. And if you're not a sports fan, I know you can't relate at this point. But you maybe went to college somewhere, they had a basketball team, and everybody's playing basketball. And this was like the athletes would prepare the whole season and work hard the whole season to get to this place, to get into that NCAA tournament, whatever division you're in. And that was that moment to get there. And then people that made it there, they were so hopeful that they were going to win and do well in that tournament. And then they canceled it. Like, it was dead. The hope was dashed. It's no longer a living hope for them to go through the tournament. But I thought just for fun, because I know you guys want something to do besides listen to me preach, is I thought you could go to the comment section right now on your computer. If you're watching live stream, go into the comment section, and I'm going to let you pick the winner of the NCAA tournament. I think we've got a list here. So I pulled the top four, according to the AP poll, uh, top 25 teams. This is how they landed at the end of the season. Number one NCAA basketball team was Kansas, Uh, Jayhawks, number two was Gonzaga. By the way, that happens to be in our state in case you want to vote that way. Number three is Dayton, which is really surprised to a lot of us that Dayton did really well this season, made it to number three. And then Florida State. I mean, whoever heard of Florida State? But anyway, they're number four uh, this morning. And then I give you the option of saying none of the above. That means that you had another team that you knew would have been in the tournament that you think would have won the whole thing. So you can go vote right now in the comment section. We'll kind of tally that up. And then we'll let you know who won the NCAA tournament according to First Free Methodist Church. We're going to make the decision. Maybe we'll even notify the school that they won. We'll say, hey, on behalf of FFMC, you won the NCAA tournament. So anyway, if you want to comment, chime in there. We'd love it. We'll figure out a way to communicate that. Maybe next week I'll announce the winner uh, when you come back for online services next week. But, they were, but think about these athletes. When they got that news that they weren't going to the tournament, they had worked so hard, and now the, their, their hopes were crushed, right? There, there's no, the hope is no longer alive. That's not true for us. Our hope is a living hope. It's not a dead hope. It is alive and well and protected by God in heaven. We, our eternal destiny is secure. Now, why is Peter saying this to, to them? Well, it's important that he's saying this to them because what's happening in this season of their lives is their Christians are actually being persecuted, and they're being persecuted by a guy named Nero. And Nero was the Caesar, the ruler in Rome, and he was killing Christians. And in fact, if you have kids watching with you right now, you might want to just cover their ears. 
uh, as I describe a little bit about what was happening in this persecution, and, and then you can uncover their ears when I'm done. But here's what's happening in the Christians to the Christians. Nero was actually, uh, they would slaughter animals and then put the, the animal skins and wrap Christians in the animal skins and then throw them into the pit of wild dogs or into the pit of lions. And they did this for sport. This was to, as part of the games or part of sport or entertainment. Think about that. This is how they were entertaining the people of Rome, how Nero was entertaining his people. The other thing that Nero was known for doing to Christians was uh, uh, putting them on poles uh, bathing them in tar and pitch and lighting them on fire uh, to light his gardens in the evening for his garden parties. Again, it was sport. It was entertainment. It was a way to assert his power. So I want you to think about Peter writing this about a living hope, right, to Christians who were under threat their, of their very lives, right? And then Peter goes on and says this in verse 6. He says, you now rejoice in this hope even if it is necessary for you to be distressed for a short time by various trials. And the various trials he's talking about is, is also the persecution, but also uh, different things that they were encountering during that time period. And I think of the time that we're in right now with this COVID-19 situation. We're in, this is one of our various trials. We've had other trials. We're going to have trials in the future. We've had trials in the past. Uh, and this is one of our short times, going to be for a short time, we hope. But it's a various trial, right? And these take all kinds of forms. But he's saying, rejoice. Rejoice in your hope. Rejoice in the fact that no matter what's happening in this short time frame, in this one inch of your line of e your eternal destiny, that you should rejoice in this hope that you have, right? Even if things are hard or inconvenient. And really, compared to the first century Christians, most of us, what most of us are encountering currently is inconvenience. That's what it is. It's not really suffering uh, to any degree, but it's really just an inconvenience for most of us. Now, we do know that there are people who are suffering. We anticipate that people will be suffering, and we certainly want to continue to pray for them and be looking out for them. But the bottom line is, it's really, for most of us, at least for me, it's just an inconvenience at this point. So there's no reason to stress out, and my hope is secure, right? So I think about this, but I think there's this tension with this, and there's a temptation within us, especially as people of faith, to give into that fear, to give into that suffering, to give into that inconvenience, right? And to go into the hoarding mode or the uh, other types of fear-driven responses that I find people engaging in right now. And sometimes people are getting stressed out and angry. I'm a, Saw, I, I saw a fight almost break out at the car wash last weekend between two people. I could tell just that people are stressed out, right? But how are you responding, right, in the midst of this inconvenience or suffering? And there's this temptation for us with it when we suffer that we'll let go of our faith, we'll forget our faith. And I see that I, this has actually happened before, and I've seen this actually happen in Christian organizations where the pressure of the suffering of the institution organization uh, will suffer so much that they'll let go of their Christian identity. They'll let go of their hope, right? Because of the fear of what might happen or the fear of the future, well, then they'll, they'll let go of their faith. They'll let go of their Christian identity. A great example of that is really the YMCA. The YMCA, if you didn't know what the YMCA stands for, it stands for Young Men's Christian Association. Young Men's Christian Association or Young Women's Christian Association. The YWCA, YMCA, were created with the mission to reach young people with the gospel and to provide for their physical needs. So it was a both a social aspect to it as well as a spiritual aspect to it of those two things together. 
But what happened over time when pressure came to stay in business, so to speak, when the pressure came financially for them to continue to be in the community, they let go of their Christian identity, they let go of their hope in Christ, and they just became a need, physical need-meeting organization. And today, if you join the YMCA, you're basically joining a gym with great classes. And I was a, I've been a member of the YMCA. I love the YMCA. It's a great organization as a gym, but it's, I would not say that it is continuing to be a Christian organization, because in some ways what's happened is the pressure the possibility of suffering has allowed them to break off from their original mission and their original Christian faith. And I think there's a temptation even in the church for that to happen. And that's what Peter's saying, is that this suffering is going to come, but notice what your faith is. Put your eyes on Christ. Put your eyes on your faith when this suffering comes. Don't be tempted to let go of it and give in to the fear and the panic that comes with suffering and inconvenience. So that's what he's saying. And then he says this, but this is the reason. He actually explains why this suffering is happening. He says in verse 7, he said, This is necessary so that your faith may be found genuine. Your faith is more valuable than gold, which will be destroyed even though it is, it is itself tested by fire. Your genuine faith will result in glory, will result in praise, glory, and honor for you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So think about it. Peter's saying your suffering, our suffering, is necessary. I don't know that I've always thought of it that way. Have you? That when I go through inconvenience, when I go through suffering, I don't think of it as necessary. I think of it as something I don't want to go through. But what Peter is saying is it's necessary. And why is it necessary according to Peter? He's saying it's necessary because it's a testing of your faith. Now, in the first century, when a potter would make a pot, they would make pots for practical everyday uses and the potter would form the clay and then put the pot into a kiln. And it would get heated up, very, a lot of heat, I think over 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit. And when the pot was subjected to heat, it would harden the clay and make it useful after it came out of the kiln. Then it became useful to hold water or to hold other ingredients. And when it came out of the kiln from the heat, it would need to be inspected for cracks or even hairline fractures because sometimes pots would be sold in the marketplace and people would take them home and they'd go put water in it and it would leak because it had a hairline fracture in it or a crack in it that, that, uh, that wasn't seen. So the potter would inspect the pot to make sure there was no cracks in it and basically to inspect to make sure it held water. Does it hold water? We use that phrase. And then if it held water, it would get stamped and the stamp would say genuine. It was trustworthy. It was genuine. It withstood the heat and it came out genuine and whole, and it became a, a useful and had a purpose and could be used and relied upon. That's what Peter is saying here, that when we're tested, this heat is testing us. This suffering is like heat in the kiln. And are we coming out of it without cracks? Are we coming out of it as our faith being tested? Is our faith being genuine when it comes to testing, right? And that's what Peter is saying. Warren Wearsby said this, great quote from Warren Wearsby. He said, a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. And I would, think, I would say to you and me to remind us that if, if people know we're Christians and that we have this faith in Jesus Christ and we're running around hoarding and panic buying, then that says our that's a test of our faith, right? That God is testing our faith and our resolve and our joy and our hope, right, in that. The other thing uh, someone shared with me this morning I thought was a beautiful image. I also wanted to include in, Je in Japan, and I wish I had an image of this, 
But in, in Japan, when they come across a piece of pottery that is broken or cracked, they actually take gold and they put the pot back together using the gold to fix all the cracks so that it can hold water again. And I thought that's a great image of what Jesus does for us. That even if we fall apart, even if we crack, even if we suffer and we get in our test and we fail, let's say we fail the test, that God's Holy Spirit will put us back together with gold and make us stronger and better than we were before through that suffering, through that trial, through those various trials, and that God will remold us and reshape us because we believe in a God of restoration, a God that says, you get my mercy and my grace gives you a second chance, gives you an opportunity to be restored in Christ. So know that it's testing. Know that God is with you. And he wraps up this passage with this beautiful, these beautiful verses. And he says this in 8 and 9. He says, although you've never seen him, you love him. Think about this. The people that Peter's writing to have never seen Jesus. Peter's seen Jesus. Peter's seen the resurrected Jesus. But they've never seen Jesus, and yet they still love him. And even though you don't see him now, and it goes on, you trust him and so rejoice with a glorious joy that is too much for words. Another version calls it an inexpressible joy. You are receiving the goal of your faith, your salvation. So that leads to inexpressible joy. Are you experiencing the inexpressible joy that comes with believing in a living hope? That's what God wants for us. That the result of our hope that is being tested and our faith being tested is that we can receive inexpressible joy when we hold on to our faith. We won't experience joy. The inverse of that is that we might not experience joy if we let go of our faith, if we lose our faith in the midst of it. But there is this joy that we can experience. So my hope for you today is that you will have that faith and living hope in your life. And if you're at home right now with some family members or even by yourself, I want to give you some questions to discuss today. So we did this last week. We'll keep doing this as giving you some questions for discussion with the people that you are with or even on your own to reflect upon. So question number one is, do you believe that your eternity is secure in God? And why or why not? What, what, how do you feel about your eternal security, that line that we talked about? Number two, our question number two is this, where has your faith weakened because of suffering. If you're encountering suffering or inconvenience or stress or anxiety, is that weakening your faith or is that strengthening your faith? Is that helping you, is that turning you away from God or is that helping you get closer to God? And then the follow-up part of that is what in this passage, wait, back to question two, what in this passage encourages you today? So what is it that Peter's saying that might encourage you in your faith, especially if you're feeling some weakness there? And then number three question is this, what one step could you take this week to strengthen your faith? What's one thing that you could do this week to strengthen your faith today? So as you think about that, I wanted to just share a little story with you. It actually happened this week, and you know, the, there's, there's not a lot you can do this week. I find that there's very few things you can do, but one thing you can do is go to the grocery store. And what I find is that everybody else is going to the grocery store too. And I've seen that there have been some lines in the morning to get goods and people are overbuying and overstocking and going into this panic buying. And uh, we saw a little bit this week and there was a person, a, a woman of faith that went to the Safeway up here and uh, she was in line in one checkout line. And the other checkout line, there was a construction worker. He had his, his vest on, you know, the, the bright yellow vest and he had his work boots on. 
and she said he smelled like he'd been in a construction site. He was all smelly and dirty and grimy. And he comes up to the counter, and, all, and he's got three cases of water. And he's trying to check out with three cases of water, but the checkout attendant uh, said, you know, you can only buy two cases of water because we're limiting the case of water. And he's like, well, you know, I've got this whole crew that I'm buying water for. It's not, I'm not, it's just not just for me. I'm taking it back to the construction site where all my crew is working so that they can have it and have water and we have water available for these guys who are working hard. And just, just a reminder, folks, there are people that are still working hard on behalf of us and that are they're trucking goods across the nation so we can keep buying. There are farmers that are still working. There are construction workers that are still working and building. And these guys are, don't get to stay home and work online. You can't work online. There are some work, uh, work that can't be done online, and they're out there serving us. And so if you see them, I hope you'll thank them as well. But think about that. Why, so why we're hoarding, right, and going, there are other people working hard and actually helping us to stay home and work and be fed and have toilet paper and whatever else it is. And then think about this. So this guy's trying to buy three cases of water. He's not able to buy three cases of water and, because, and the attendant's just doing their job. So this woman, this Christian woman, who sees this happening in the line next to her, looks over the construction worker and says, give me a case of water, I'll buy it for you. And he's like, well, I don't have any cash to pay you for it. And she's like, it's okay, I'll take care of it. So she takes the case of water, checks it out, pays for it, gets to the end of the line, he comes out, gives him the case of water, and he's able to go on to the work site. Why do I share that? Because that's generosity. That while everybody else around us is hoarding and holding on to and holding tightly to and protecting their own, here is an act of generosity, a small act of generosity in the midst of panic. And I think that's the way God would want us to respond. I think those are the steps of faith that God wants us to take, to continue to be generous and open-handed in a world that is clutching and fearful. And the reason we do that is because we have a living hope in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.